So I'd like to do what I'm calling reintroduce Paul's letter to the Ephesians to you, Ephesians chapter 6. So please turn there. We did read it earlier. Uh, Pastor Mark read it for us. And get back to this highly significant passage. So let me read verses 10 and 11. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You remember that? These first two verses basically introduce the whole passage here, and then the rest of the passage is a development of these couple of verses. He says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against whom? The wiles of the devil. So remember, this is a call to battle. This is a call to war. Paul gets to the end of his letter. He's finishing his letter with everything that he said. He hasn't really talked a lot about the devil. Um, did so in Ephesians 2. But what you begin to realize here is that life in this world is warfare. And so we want to take heed to this as we finish the letter. Now, this is a warning, and it's also a promise. So the warning is this. You cannot fight this fight in your own strength. Don't be foolish and think that you can or forget what's actually going on out there in the world. So my purpose today is to give you an accurate view of the world in which you live. So he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So that's, that's the warning. The second feature is a promise here. God will give you everything you need to fight this fight victoriously. So don't be afraid. Be wise. But God's going to give you everything you need to fight this fight victoriously. And that's verse 11, right? Um, it says there, put on the whole armor of God. So God's giving you armor. It's God's armor, the armor of God. And he says that you may be able to stand and not be blown away. You might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So let's, let's take a look. There's a little bit of review here. But I'm going to actually hopefully give you something here that you may never have thought of to think in this way about the world in which you live. So uh, you have three enemies, and most of us already know that, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? Three enemies and one evil Lord, worse than Darth Vader's worst nightmares and dreams. So what's the world? The world is a temporary place where you and I live right now and where Satan is active. That's very important that you keep this in mind. It's a temporary place because this world is on its way out. But you and I live here, and the scary thing is that so does the devil now live here. And this is where he operates. Not that we can always see it, but this is where he operates. Now, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. Take a look at that so you can understand. Here's the world in which you and I live right now until Christ returns. Look at Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So B.C., you were dead. When Christ comes into your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, you come alive to God. He says, in that spiritual death, in that state of spiritual death, verse 2, in which, in which you once walked, and to walk in the Bible is to live your life, Look at this. According to the course of this world, you were influenced by the world around you, not by God. 
And then it gets worse. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So you were dead. The world was what influenced you. What you did not know was behind the influences of the world in your heart and your life was the spirit, this demonic, devilish spirit, Satan and the demons. And they were actually working in you. If you're not born again, Satan works in you. That's a horrible thought. And what's worse than that is you don't even know it. You don't even know it. And then he says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves, even the great apostle Paul, we all once conducted ourselves or lived our lives out in the lusts of our flesh. So there we have the three enemies, the world, the flesh, which he's going to mention now, and the devil, the prince of the power of the air. But look at this, lust. Your, your, your flesh is the human nature you were born with. And that human nature was not born good. It was not born neutral. It was born broken and sinful. You were dominated by the power of sin. Not that you knew this or felt this, because when you're born this way, it seems normal to you. You don't know it. You don't see it. Most psychologists and psychiatrists and educators and politicians and philosophers, they don't think about this. Because for everybody who's not born again, the way the world is is the way the world's supposed to be, except for maybe a few things. And, and yet we know this is not the way the world's supposed to be. We're all out of water. We're all broken and fallen. There's something wrong with all of us, and it comes back to when Adam sinned and fell, and all of us were born under the power of that sin. So he says, among whom also every single one of us once lived our lives, conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. We were driven by the evil desires of the sin that was in us, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Now, he's using the word flesh in the second place here a little differently, and that is we were influenced by what came from us, and we were influenced by what came from outside of us, the lust of the flesh inside and the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath, just as the others. So there's the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the world is the temporary place where you and I live right now, and where Satan is active. Now, furthermore, I want you to see Revelation 12. Uh, you go to the last book of the Bible, the 12th chapter. Any of you remembering some of this? It's been a couple of months, I think, or so. But Revelation 12, and I think you and I need to understand, grasp, picture the setting of your life and my life in this world. So you know who you are and what, where, where you're at and what's going on, and you're not taken by surprise. So in Revelation chapter 12, I don't want to spend uh, much time here, but I want you to see it. Here's where I'm saying this world is temporary, and it's the place where Satan is at work, where you and I live. So verse 1. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, 
she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. This is Israel in this visionary picture God gives to John. It's Israel about to give birth or bring into the world the Messiah. Now he sees something else. He sees um, in verse 3, and another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven. These would be angels. And threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. What's he want to do? To devour her child as soon as it was born. So here comes Messiah into the world. And here comes the devil represented by this dragon who wants to destroy him. Remember Herod gave the order to kill all the male children from two years old down in Bethlehem? Now, he doesn't succeed because what happens is, verse 5, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. So the child comes into the world, he dies on the cross, pays for our sins, is raised from the dead. That's all brought together in this one image. And he ascends to God and sits at God the Father's right hand forevermore. So in other words, Jesus accomplished and finished his work. Now the church goes out into the wilderness. That's where we are now. For a certain amount of time, that's what that 1,260 days mean. We have a certain amount of time in this world to spread the gospel throughout the whole earth, and then Jesus will come back. Now, let's see what happens in heaven as a result of Jesus going into heaven. Verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, look at this now, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, you know when this has taken place by the next verse, 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. This, I think, explains what was going on in Job when devil, the devil seemed to have access into God's presence before Christ died on the cross and he lost his access to God's presence. Because if you're in Christ, the devil can't accuse you of sin anymore because your sins were paid for. Because we're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. See how all this works together? All right, so... So heaven now proclaims the, the accomplishment of our salvation. Verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Now that's where we are positionally. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. So this is where he must work his ill will. 
we are raised up together with Christ and made alive and seated in the heavenlies with Christ so he can only destroy our bodies. He cannot destroy our lives. But he destroys our bodies. Read church around the world and see he's doing that. But for us, it's a win. Win. He kills us and we show the world that Christ is more important than the world and we go right into the immediate presence of God with Christ. So whenever Satan has gone around trying to kill Christians, the church tends to grow at those times and in those places. So, so this, is, this is the backdrop of the story, so to speak. This is, this is the visionary image of what is, has happened when Christ came and now what's going on now. So that's why I say the world is a temporary place where we live right now and where Satan is active. But it's only going to be for a certain amount of time. So now let's talk about the flesh, the three enemies, the world, the flesh. The flesh refers to the enemy within you. What I mean by that is the flesh for the believer is indwelling presence and activity of sin in what I call your, your fallen pre-resurrection body. All right. So when it talks about you and the flesh, if you're born again, it's talking about you as somebody who is born again, Christ dwells in your heart, but there's still sin at work in your life. And that's where we have to battle. That's where we have the trouble. So if you're born again and in Christ, you are free from the mastery of sin, but not the active presence of sin. See what I'm saying? If you're born again and in Christ, you are free from the mastery of sin, but you're not free from the active presence of sin. So that's why, you know, Jesus taught us, pray, lead us not into temptation. Because of the sin that still is in us, we're, we're highly prone to temptation. So the world, the flesh, and the other thing to be said about the flesh is this. The flesh is Satan's access to your heart and life. See, Jesus did not have any sin when he was born nor did he acquire any sin along the way. He was completely sinless and pure and holy, so he died and paid for our sins and rose again in his glorious resurrection body. But when Satan came after him, Jesus said, he has nothing in me, but you and I do. That's the flesh. That's the indwelling presence of sin in every believer that continues until we see Christ, and then we're res resurrected from the dead. So, so what you see here is that our flesh is Satan's access point to your heart and your life. And that's why, again, I think how the Lord's Prayer ends is so vital for you to remember to pray. Lead me not into temptation. Yeah, I'm born again. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven, but I face temptation, indwelling presence and activity of sin, and um, deliver me from the evil one. Because he's here, he's active, and we're vulnerable. Now, the devil. The devil is the evil lord and leader of the rebellion against faith in Jesus Christ. All right? He wants to usurp God's place. So that's 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where the Bible ironically, and I think a little bit sarcastically, says he's the God of this age. And the point about this age is that this age is temporary. It's on its way out, like we said. The devil's come down, he's angry, he knows he has a short time. All right, so 
What he wants to do, though, is he wants to usurp God's place in this world. Satan is a God wannabe. He is a God wannabe. But what he's going to do, whenever he gets that authority and that power over somebody or some institution in, in society, much like what's going on in our nation, he ruins people. He destroys people. He ruins creation. He hates creation because it's God's creation. And he can't help himself but lie and cheat and deceive and steal and destroy and murder. That's what he is. Right? So what he does is he works in this world in which you and I live to conspire against God's kingdom and against God's children. You see what I'm doing? I'm giving you a picture of the world in which you live that's based on the Bible. And what would you say is Satan's main weapon? Deception. That's his main weapon, deception. Not his only weapon, but it's his main weapon, deception. He's the father of lies and the father of liars. And that's what it said in Revelation 12. He comes down, the one who deceives the whole world. So I want to draw a more particular picture of this conspiracy, this satanic conspiracy, or how should you look at the world that you and I live in? I know there's beautiful parts of creation. Yes, I know that. But get your eyes open and look for this. First of all, you can liken this world to a house of mirrors. Ever been to an amusement park? And you pay your money and go into the house of mirrors? And everything you look at in the mirrors is wrong, distorted, exaggerated, minimized. You might walk in there and you go, I need to lose 135 pounds. Or, that's better. (laughs) So Satan uses his influence in this world to get you to believe as true what is not true as false, what is not false, as right, what is actually wrong, and as wrong, what is actually right. So it's a house of mirrors that you and I live in. Secondly, it's a maze. It's a maze. God calls your life in this world a walk. We are to walk as Christ walked. We are to walk with the Lord. We are to follow Jesus Christ, right? But Satan uses his influence in this world to lead you away from God and against God. He's always working to help you get lost and miss God's best for you. So, house of mirrors, you got to look at everything and say, what does the word of God say? And it's a maze. you got to stick with the Word of God and be led by the Holy Spirit so that you don't get trapped in a dead end or you think you're on your way and you're on your way maybe even to hell. Or thirdly, the world you and I live in is an obstacle course. Satan uses his influence in this world to block your progress, to tempt you to question God, to turn you against your brothers and sisters in the faith, and eventually to lose your confidence in God. He wants to set up these roadblocks and obstacles so that you get weary and tired, you get off track, you give up your faith, you get discouraged, fearful, anxious, or angry, all these different ways. The same things that he uses as an obstacle to your faith, by the way, are the things that God uses to refine you and purify you and test you and strengthen you and prepare you for glory. But if you don't walk by faith, The devil will use the obstacles to drive your faith into the ground. So it's a house of mirrors. You need the word of God to know the truth. 
It's a maze. You need the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to lead you so that you come out the right place. And it's an obstacle course, and you need the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and your faith to say, I'm not going to let this destroy my faith in God. I'm going to grow through this. God, you're faithful to me. You work everything together for good. All right? And finally, and maybe most seriously, you can look at the world as a minefield. And I've read some of the stories about our guys over there. And not only that, but some of the places where they, they still, I, don't, I, I read a story not that long ago. Somebody went into a place that was a battlefield at one time, and they hadn't cleared all the mines, and one blew up. So this was like a minefield. Satan uses his influence in this world to tempt you into sin and disobedience so as to destroy you, to blow up your life in Christ, to fill you with things like fear and anger and regret and discouragement and bitterness. It's a minefield. You've got to watch out. And the only way to make your way through the minefield without getting your faith blown up and shipwrecked is God's Word, God's Holy Spirit, fellowship with the brothers and sisters, and lots and lots of prayer. So, Ephesians 6, this is a reintroduction to our passage. It's a warning. You can't fight this fight alone. And it's a promise. God's going to give you everything you need for victory. So we're going to learn how to put on the whole armor of God. So we need the power of God, and that's the Holy Spirit. Are you born again? Because remember, if you're not born again, the evil spirit, the, the prince of the power of the air, he works in you, and you don't even know it. So you hear the gospel, believe in Jesus, come out into the light, turn your whole life over to Jesus Christ. You need the word of God. So how do we even know what I'm talking about here? I didn't have it in here. I didn't find it by going out and doing research, going to college. I found out about the truth right here in God's Word. So we understand what we understand from this holy and inerrant book. And that's what we need. We, we need to learn it. We need to study it. We need to read it. We need to believe it. And that's where you're going to find your armor, right here. What is the sword of the Spirit, by the way? That's the last thing he's going to mention is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So, and one more proof, if I need to argue and convince you any further than this. When Jesus was in the wilderness, the devil tempted him with what? The Word of God. And how did Jesus answer him? The Word of God. So the devil can be pretty slick. So you've got to have the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God. You've got to be ready. So if Jesus did it that way, who, in, who am I and who are you to neglect the Word of God? Do you know the Word of God like you should? Are you reading it every day? Are you part of a Bible study in fellowship where together you're learning with your brothers and sisters? And, you know, sometimes it's, it's always good to read the Bible every day, right? But you and I need some input from outside of us because we can get closed-minded we can be, um, uh, we can deceive ourselves. Um, we can think about the same things all the time when we need to think of something else. Something else needs to be brought to our attention because we can, you know, have our blinders on. So get into the Word of God, but get involved with a Bible study, a fellowship group where you can be sharing and hearing others share and somebody's teaching and directing you to places in the Bible and subjects in the Bible you may never have covered. 
So be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day against the wiles of the devil. Are you ready? Let's pray for each other and pray for me because we want to read this and really get everything God has in it for us. Amen? All right. And, you know, I forgot to say at the beginning at the announcements, we have Roland Bowl today. So come on downstairs and eat uh, some lunch with us together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Bible, for the content of the Bible, the explanations were given in the Bible, the directions, the warnings, and the promises. And now we pray that you would help each one of us to think through what we've learned and not be taken by surprise, not be so easily fooled and deceived, but know the truth, live in the world in which we live. Not that we want it to be this way, but that's the way it is until you come back. We might be wise and sharp and vigilant and strong and bold and ready to stand and fight the good fight of faith and win and not lose. And now we pray for your blessing upon us as we head some of us downstairs. I pray all of us and that as we go home now or later on that you'll watch over us, take care of us, give your angels charge over us and keep us safe even as we are secure in Christ, raised together with him and seated in the heavenly places. And also, Lord, we thank you for the food and the drink that we're about to share. Thank you for those who prepared it for us, who will be serving us. May we enjoy the meal, be nourished by it, and enjoy one another's company in your holy presence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.